Amen. Thank you, choir. That's beautiful. Two weeks. Has it really only been two weeks? Two weeks have passed since our Easter celebration. But we are still in the season of Easter. And in our scripture passage, today it is still late afternoon of that first Easter day. The setting is on a road headed out from Jerusalem towards a village called Emmaus. Our characters, as we begin, are two disciples, not two of that most intimate group of twelve, but two other followers of Jesus, one of whom is named Cleopas. His companion is unnamed, but is perhaps his wife. I imagine they are physically and emotionally exhausted from the events of the previous week. Yet we find them engaged in deep conversation. The passage that I will read from Luke 24 is a long one, but I'm going to read it in its entirety. You'll see that what you have on the front of your bulletin stops before I do. That's okay. It was the intent. We couldn't make it all fit and still be legible. So if you would rather to pull out your own Bible and read it there, you may, or continue to listen. Stand as you are able in honor of the reading of the gospel. From Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 13. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, what things? They replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then Jesus said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe that all that the prophets have declared was it not necessary that the Messiah should shuffle these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself and all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, 
Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scripture to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. The word of God for the people of God. Please be seated. Over the course of three or more years, seminary professors cover many, many topics that their students try to absorb at least long enough to write the paper or to pass the exam. Some of those topics actually stick and a few even come in useful every once in a while. One concept that I first encountered in a sociology of religion class and then totally forgot about for about 20 years until it resurfaced in some reading I was doing is the concept of liminality, liminal space, liminal time. Lemon, not the fruit, but L-I-M-E-N, Lemon, and I just realized Judy's here. Judy, I hope I've got this right. She's the Latin teacher. Lemon is a Latin word that means threshold. It is any point or place of entering or beginning. Its modern day usage originated in anthropology to talk about what happens in rites of passage or rites of initiation. A liminal space is that time between the what was and the what next. As theologian Richard Rohr describes it, liminality is where we are betwixt and between the familiar and the completely unknown. It is where our old world is left behind and we are not yet sure of the new existence. It is a place where, quite frankly, humans don't like to be. But it is where God always seems to be leading us because that is where transformation takes place. Basically, biblically, liminal space is Abraham called to a land he did not yet know. It is the Israelites wandering in the wilderness between Egypt and the promised land. It is Joseph in the pit and later in prison. It is David the shepherd anointed by Samuel, but not yet king. It is Jonah in the belly of the big fish. It is Mary great with child, and it is Mary at the foot of the cross. It is the disciples huddled behind a locked door in the upper room, and it is our two disciples this morning on the road to Emmaus, betwixt and between the life they had known and whatever was supposed to come next. They had spent Saturday, the Sabbath, in Jerusalem, but now on the first day of the week, they are walking away, away from Jerusalem and everything that has happened there, away from the community of disciples, away from any perceived danger if they were identified as one of those who had been with Jesus. They are walking away wrapped in the shocked numbness that follows any traumatic event. 
Just over a week ago, they had followed Jesus into Jerusalem on a very different road, a road of hope, a road of anticipation. People had waved palms and shouted Hosanna. It seemed that at last the whole world would recognize Jesus as the Messiah sent from God to save their people. The oppression of living under Roman rule was about to come to an end. But instead, instead, how quickly the tide had turned. They must have been wrong. He'd been a wonderful preacher, an amazing leader, a healer, an insightful friend. But Messiah? It is a hard road these disciples are walking. It is, as Barbara Brown Taylor describes, the road you walk when your team has lost. Your candidate has been defeated. Your loved one has died. It is the long road back to the empty house, the piles of unopened mail, to life as usual, if life can ever be usual again. It is the road you walk when forced to figure out what the new normal will be. As the disciples walk, they're talking, rehashing for the millionth time everything that has happened, trying to understand why, looking for clues, grasping for explanations, when a stranger joins them on the road. Imagine today if you were on a MARTA bus or train, or maybe on an airplane with multiple seats on your row, and you and your friend are deep in intimate conversation, shoulder to shoulder, heads together, blocking out the world, and a stranger comes up and says, hey, what are you talking about? Imagine that happening on a New York subway train after 9-11, and it will help you hear the disbelief in the disciples' voices who are you, Rip Van Winkle? Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who doesn't know what has happened? Clearly, Jesus knows what has happened. But he is a good counselor, and he comes along beside them and offers to listen, to give them an opportunity to tell their story one more time. He encourages them to name their loss. And in a few brief words, we hear their disappointment. We hear their grief. We had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped. Who hasn't felt that before? We had hoped, but it didn't turn out like we expected. We had hoped, but the surgery wasn't successful. We had hoped, but the cancer returned. The promotion didn't come through. The engagement was broken. The addiction wasn't overcome. Permanent solutions were found for temporary problems. Once challenged to write a novel in six words, Ernest Hemingway turned over a napkin and wrote, For sale, baby shoes, never used. Hopes dashed, dreams unfulfilled. 
In some way or another, we can all empathize with the disciples on the road back home to Emmaus. They are disappointed, grief-stricken, heartbroken, and they are also confused. Before they left Jerusalem, they heard the women say that when they went to the tomb, it was empty. They heard their witness that angels said, Jesus is alive. How are they to understand that? It's too incredible, too impossible. The tomb is empty, but their hearts are broken, and they cannot hear the good news. Until, until this stranger puts it all in context, explaining to them how these past three days fit into the larger story of Moses and the prophets, opening the scriptures to them, showing them the rhythm of the paschal mystery of suffering, death, and resurrection. Slowly they begin to know and understand the truth. They begin to gain a new perspective on their experience. Again, Barbara Brown Taylor imagines Jesus' words for us. Oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart. If you had read your Bibles, none of this would come as a surprise to you. It's right there in black and white. The Christ is not the one who wins the power struggle. He is the one who loses it. The Christ is not the undefeated champion. He is the suffering servant, the broken one who comes into his glory with his wounds still visible. The disciples had thought they were following Jesus on the road to victory, and they were, but the victory was one he would not win by power and might, but by love. They had thought it was the road to triumph, and it was, but he shows them that it must wind its way through the valley of defeat. It is still so much to take in, so much to comprehend, this radical reorientation of perspective, that when the disciples get to their turnoff in the road to go home, when they get to their subway stop and it seems like the stranger is going to go on ahead of them, they invite him to come home with them instead. Now it's one thing to engage the stranger in the public square, but it's quite another to invite them into your home, into your personal space. But Cleopas and his companion want to hear more. And it is there, in their home, in the breaking of the bread, the foundation of Holy Communion and all church potlucks, it is there that their eyes that had been kept from seeing Jesus are now open and they are able to recognize him. It is there that they realize that their once broken hearts are now burning within them. Despite the lateness of the hour, they return to the road, tossing off the last vestiges of numbness and kicking up their heels. They hurry back to Jerusalem, back to the home that is community, back to tell the story so that others can know and believe. Can you imagine their conversation on the return trip? Again, hashing and rehashing everything that has happened, now informed by their experience with the resurrected Christ. A cosmic experience that reorients their life as much as Paul's experience on another road going to Damascus. How animated that conversation must have been. And when they arrive back at the upper room, they find that Jesus has been on the road before them. 
Those disciples, too, have seen the risen Christ in the upper room, and they are rejoicing. Wow, what a journey these disciples have taken from we had hoped to he is risen. The beauty of this journey, of this story, the good news is that the road or the locked room or wherever we find ourselves with broken hearts or shattered dreams is also the road where the risen Lord comes to us. And thankfully, Jesus doesn't limit his appearances to those with confidence in him. He comes to the disappointed, the doubtful, the disconsolate. He comes to those who do not know the Bible. He comes to those who do not recognize him. He even comes to those who have given up on him and are headed back home. The good news is that even when our hearts are broken, our dreams shattered, God is with us. We are not alone. That is good news for us today. For those of us who also find ourselves in liminal space, either because of what we face in our personal lives, with family relationships, health issues, work issues, or what we are facing as a church family. I know I feel that liminal space now. I feel it today, particularly for Chris and Ashley and Dayton, as they share their goodbyes with us. But I also feel it for the Campbells and the Cliftons and for the new pastors who will be coming here. I feel it for this church and for Peachtree Road and Due West and Gainesville. We are in this literal time of transition, cleaning and packing, house hunting and hopefully house selling, but also the emotional and spiritual transitions of goodbyes and hellos from one community, one church, one pastor, one family, to another. From different perspectives, there is grief and disappointment and heartbreak, and there is anger and frustration and confusion. Why did this happen? And what comes next? Even as we are putting on our brave faces and grasping for excitement and anticipation, for joy and hope for what is to come, there is all this other stuff. It's okay to feel all that we are feeling. It's good to name it and to talk about it just like the disciples did on the road that day. For in the conversation, we open the way for Jesus to join us. We open the way for Jesus to come and show us something unexpected that we can scarcely believe. We open the way for Jesus to surprise us with his grace and make our broken hearts burn. So the challenge for this day and for the days to come is will we allow the stranger in? Will we allow the new leaders who will come here and the people in the new communities where we are being sent, will we allow these strangers in? Will we trust them 
and confide in them the yearnings of our hearts. Will we allow the stranger to show us and teach us new things that God has for us to hear, to know, and to experience? Because this journey, this story, ends very differently if the disciples on the road that day don't engage this stranger. If they had shut him out, blown him off, gone their own way, assuming that he could be of no help to their crisis, they never would have seen Jesus. They might not have ever known him as the Christ. Which begs a million questions about how we treat all people who are strangers to us. People who are in some way different from us for one reason or another, whether it is personality type or life experience or ethnicity or language or political view, or people who are simply unknown to us. I'm certain that we have, at one time or another, all been or felt like the stranger, whether moving to a new community or starting a new school, visiting in a new church, traveling, to another country. The time when I most felt like a stranger was again in seminary when I had the opportunity to go to the Middle East on a travel seminar. We left Hartsfield-Jackson, an airport that I know very well. And we had a layover in Germany in a city that was new to me, but I knew the country and I knew the language. But then early the next morning, we landed in Damascus, Syria, a tiny, tiny airport compared to Hartsfield-Jackson. The women who were there were dressed in black from head to toe. All the signs were written in Arabic. We were the strangers in a strange land. We were the ones who couldn't communicate unless the translator, our tour guide, was there with us. We spent three weeks in Syria, Jordan, Sinai, and Israel, meeting with Arab and Israeli leaders and scholars. We saw Christian, Jewish, and Islamic holy sites and historic sites spanning the centuries, some of which no longer exist today. But what made the trip most memorable was the grace with which we were received by those we spent the most time with. The bus drivers, the tour guides, the hostel owners who shared their stories with us. Our eyes were opened in ways that news reports can never do. We built relationships and were able to see God in them as they saw God in us. We became friends rather than strangers. Such hospitality is biblical. In Matthew, Jesus says that when we feed the hungry, give water to the thirsty, when we visit the sick and those in prison, and when we welcome the stranger, we do so to him. St. Benedict took this teaching to heart and instructed the monks at his monastery that any guest who happens to arrive should be received just as we would receive Christ himself. Those attending them, both on arrival and departure, should show this by a bow of the head or even a full prostration on the ground, which will leave no doubt 
that it is indeed Christ who is received. We as a church have been in this liminal place before. Maybe not quite so much all at once. But we have been on this road before. I know the gracious welcome my family and I received here some five years ago. I have been here as we said goodbye to Kristen and to Mark, and as we welcomed Allison and her family and David and his. I know how you have opened your hearts and shared your lives with us. And so now my prayer is that you will do the same thing again, that you will pray for those who are leaving and for those who are coming that we will all open ourselves to the ways that God will meet us on this road wherever we find ourselves. That we will allow God to use this time to grow us and transform us, that our hearts might burn. That we will allow God to move us along the road from we had hoped to Jesus is Lord and show us new ways to live out those promises of the resurrection. For God is with us in this journey. We are not alone. It is serendipitous, perhaps, that we are recognizing the acolytes on this Sunday. And I appreciate all that Allison and David have said about the value of their leadership and worship. But I also want to point out that what they do each week is create liminal space here. And that's really how we talked about it in my sociology class. Their primary responsibility is to create liminal space through the ritual of bringing in the cross and the light of God and setting apart this time of worship for us, making it holy time and space in the presence of God. And when our time here together is over, at the end of this hour, or at the end of a season of ministry. The acolytes also lead us out into the world with the cross and the light of God going before us, reminding us of God's presence out there on the road, as well as in here, to guide us and support us, to go ahead of us and prepare the way for us, and to join us in the midst of those difficult spaces we find ourselves in. So today, take a companion with you on the road home, on the road to the reception for Chris. Take a companion. Spend time together in conversation and talk about all these things. And remember, that wherever you find yourself, God is with you. You are not alone. Thanks be to God. Amen. <laughs>